Welcome to the first episode of The Local Media Entrepreneur. My name is Brian, and I'm up here in northern Vermont, where I've been running one of these local media businesses for the last six years. And what I'm doing now is training other local journalists how to get these sites up and running, how to use social media to guarantee that you have a large, massive local following fast, how you can monetize that through local advertising and digital services, and do like 220 of us have done, which is basically turn the tables on the local media industry by starting something local ourselves. And what we're doing in this series is we're interviewing other local media pioneers. On today's episode, we have a guy named Mike Ragsdale, who's down in Florida. Uh, Mike really is a legend in this business. He started the 30A.com and the 30A company years ago, and the things that he's been doing are just amazing. On this episode, we're going to talk with Mike about how he got started, about what his thoughts are on the business. Um, He's got a strong opinion on how important positive local news is to the community, and he's passionate about it. And I mean, you're really going to get a lot out of this interview. And if you're thinking about starting one of these sites, if this inspires you, don't hesitate to reach out to me and I will help you get going as well. That's what I'm doing now. So with that said, we'll jump into the interview, catch up with Mike Ragsdale with 30A.com and the 30A company. So to start with, I really have to say, you know, when I got started in local online publishing about five years ago, there were already two main legends in the game at the time. And one was Howard Owens with the Batavian and the other was Mike Ragsdale with 30A. And I got a lot of inspiration and motivation through seeing what Mike had done with 30A.com. So Mike, you know, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us here today. Oh man, it's my pleasure. And I was not aware of that. So it is uh, an honor to be included in that kind of company. So thank you. Well, Mike, let's just start off then, you know, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the 30A brand and the 30A company. Sure. Um, My name is Mike Ragsdale, and I'm founder and, I guess, CEO of uh, the 30A company. And 30A is a road. Um, There's numerous sections of the road, but the one that runs through our little community is about 19 miles long. And this is an unincorporated area, um, so there's no real downtown. There's no real city. Um, we don't have a mayor or anything like that. Uh, it's very rural in some ways, but it's also a very popular uh, destination for tourism um, here on Florida's Gulf Coast on the uh, kind of what they call the panhandle of the state. And when I moved here with my wife and four children years ago, um, I was I'm I'm kind of an entrepreneur uh, by by trade. I, I did not start this blog um, with any intentions of it becoming a business, but it just began to grow organically over the years. Not just as a um, not just as a, a website, but really we just kept growing and adding organically. And over time, we just amassed this following, not just of people who love these beaches, but of people who love the beach in general. So um, it's it's really been fun to kind of watch it grow. And it's also been fun to try to play with different ways to, to monetize it as a, as not just a digital media site, but as a brand. So let's take a step back and just kind of talk about life 
you know, your life before 30A, you know, and briefly kind of leading up to that decision to actually start to become, you know, a local publisher with your with your company? Sure. You know, so um, I went to school undergraduate at the University of Alabama and studied communication, um, which includes School of Journalism, School of Advertising, Public Relations, etc. I was more focused on advertising and public relations. And then when I graduated, frankly, I couldn't find a job. Um, I sent resumes all over the place and I'm not a graphic designer. I'm, you know, I'm just kind of think of myself as an idea guy. So, uh, there's a lot of idea. Oh, there, there are a lot of people who are coming out of college who think of themselves as idea guys. So it was very difficult to, to get a job. And so I, out of lack of any better idea, I went on to get my master's degree. And I got my master's degree in public relations and advertising and public relations. And once again, when I graduated uh, two years later, I still could not get a job. Um, And so I was doing freelance work for a professor. Um, I was a graduate teaching assistant. I was using the, the Mac labs at the school to design Girl Scout newsletters or whatever whatever I could. I was writing copy. I was designing things. And at some point, um, I was sitting there uh, one day talking to a friend on the phone who had scored that dream ad agency job. And I was really jealous and I really didn't understand why I couldn't. I felt like I had the right credentials for my age. Um, And he was working for an agency and I was just doing freelance. And it was probably a Tuesday or Wednesday morning in the summer, and I was talking on this big cordless phone. This is 1993, probably, you know, so before before cell phones and, you know, uh, et cetera. So I was sitting there by the swimming pool, and it was a Tuesday morning and at my apartment complex. And some kid came and cannonballed in the pool. It was summer. And the friend who I was talking to was working at the agency in Birmingham, and he said, what was that? And I said, well, that was uh, just, um, you know, just some kid. And he's like, where are you right now? And I said, well, I'm out at the swimming pool. And he said, Mike, how much do you make freelancing? And I said, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe 1800 a month on average, you know, 1200 on a bad month, 2000 on a high month. So he's like, so you're making, you know, 18000 a year, something like that? And I said, yeah, that sounds about right. And he goes, Mike. You're sitting at the pool on a Tuesday morning. You got your whole day. You're making eighteen thousand dollars a year. I'm sitting in a cubicle in a suit and tie. I'm making twenty two thousand, and I'm hating life. So you tell me. You tell me. You know which is the better math. So you know at that moment, I really had an epiphany that, that nobody had really told me that entrepreneurship was an option. I guess you know. So I took out a small business loan. Um, I took out a uh, five thousand dollar loan. And I bought a Macintosh computer. I got a printer, you know, had enough rent to, to enough money to cover my rent and have a second room and um, for an office. And I just decided to set up shop. And my computer came with this thing that at the time nobody knew what it was, but it was called an, an AOL disk. And you're going to have to excuse me. There's a helicopter flying by. I have to confess I'm sitting on the beach today. So uh, this is my office, I'm afraid. Hold on. So, you know, I I live at the beach, so this is my office. I'm sitting in my truck doing the call. So um, that said, uh, you know, 
there's this AOL disk, and I was fascinated by it. I plugged it in. I got 10 free hours. This is before the World Wide Web even existed. And I was fascinated by it. And as a college kid, basically, who is broke, you know, who needs beer money, I mean, it was expensive. I mean, it was three ninety five an hour, you know, so it was a trade-off. You know, am I going to have beer tonight or am I going to go online for a couple of hours? And uh, I really was fascinated by this online world. Of course, there was no graphics or no, you know, videos to speak of, nothing like that. But, uh, you know, it was predominantly text-based with a few icons here and there. So I made a pitch. I, I As an entrepreneur, I, I made an unsolicited pitch to America Online um, for an idea and forgot about it. I mean, meaning I went down, you know, this is not something you could email an attachment. This is way before that. I mean, I went down to Kinko's and printed out a proposal and put it in an envelope and sent it off to Tyson's Corner, Virginia, and uh, forgot about it. And about I don't know, four months later, I get a call out of the blue from an executive at AOL that said, we really love your idea. Would you come up and talk to us? And uh, I could go many, many hours into that story. But long story short, they ended up giving, um, investing $150,000 in seed money in the idea. And I built that business into AOL's largest uh, independent entertainment studio. So over the next seven years, we grew it to about 70 employees. Um, I had a arsenal of copywriters and video game players and graphic artists. And so I learned, I really cut my teeth on, on learning to be a CEO. And uh, I had two friends who were my partners in the venture and we ran it together and sold at a good time. And uh, then went on with a, a different aspect of my career, which not all of them particularly successful. So there was a break between the time uh, we sold that business. And by the time I moved to the beach in 2006, you know, so looking back now at your career, what would you say were some key takeaways that you got from working with AOL and selling that business that really helped you when you started to think about starting um, the 30A company? What I really was learning was the building blocks of how to build community online. Uh, we had numerous um, AOL's largest gaming community, for example, video games community. We had AOL's largest uh, humor uh, com uh, community. We had AOL's largest sci-fi and fantasy community. So I was learning through trial and error. There were no rule books. There were no precedents. Through trial and error, we were learning the building blocks of building an online community, you know, a decade and a half before there would be social media. Um, uh, and, 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 the, and so it really was the building blocks for what I do today. I, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. Of course, there were no courses you could take in digital media or internet. I mean, none of that stuff existed. So we were the pioneers who went out and created, you know, the rules of how to, to get consumers. Uh, I was paid by the hour. So, so meaning if AOL cost three ninety five an hour, I think we were paid 55 cents an hour to keep people on our sites. Well, when your paycheck is coming from how many hours you keep people on your sites, you learn about engagement pretty quick, right? You know, we learned how to keep people on our pages, how to keep them coming back, how to keep them participating. We were the pioneers of, of user-generated content. Nobody did that stuff. Again, you have to keep in mind, the web did not exist when we first started this. You know, uh, it did come along as we were building, but, you know, we were prior to Anybody, you know, whether it's Yahoo or Google or Amazon or eBay or Facebook, none of those companies existed when we started and were working in the internet space. 
And then as the web did come online, of course, we transitioned out to the web and started applying what we had learned there. Uh, so by the time I got to the 30A, it was really something I started and I decided it was going to be a solopreneur business. I had zero interest in having employees. I had zero interest in having um uh, leases. I had zero interest in having contracts of any kind because I had had a succession of business failures, including a restaurant, including uh, a fitness franchise. And boy, I tell you what, when you're laying off friends, um, when you are negotiating out of leases that you're personally signed to, when you are dealing with the stress of, of of bills and, you know, no revenue. It's, it's awful. And so when I moved to the beach, I'm like, you know, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to just enjoy life. That's not, that's not how I want to live my life anymore. So when I moved and started 30A, 30A was very much a hobby. I was doing consulting for a couple of uh, clients. Um, and at some point, uh, a few years later, I lost both of my big accounts in fairly rapid succession, uh, un unrelated to each other, but just kind of happened to play out that way. And at that point, the brand had started to get a little bit of traction. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, if I work as hard for myself, if I work as hard for this brand um, as I have been for these clients, I bet I can turn this into a real business. And so in about 2000. 11 or 2012, I really turned, uh, probably 2012, I turned my full-time energy to making 30A a successful company. But I was still, until that, up until that time, I was still the only employee. And I was actually the only employee until 2015 when I actually then really, no kidding, decided to turn it into a, a viable business. Well, Mike, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the local content that you produce and the journalism that you do at 30A, because it is a little different than the approach that a lot of um, media companies have taken. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we still do local news, but we don't do local. We do positive local news. Um, I, I'm convinced that there's so much negative energy in this world uh, that there was a market opportunity for good news. And I think, unfortunately, journalists are trained uh, to believe that bad news is news, you know, that they need to be breaking the next Watergate scandal and they need to be, um, you know, uh, uh, reporting. You know, nobody nobody reports on the thousand planes that land safely. Of course, the news is the one that doesn't land safely. And that's true. But I believe there's so many positive stories out there. So great example. Of course, when you have something like Hurricane Michael completely come through and devastate our region, of course, that's news. But I'm not out here reporting on all the horrific things I could be reporting on. Everybody else can do that. I'm reporting on the good stories. I'm reporting about the companies that are stepping up and helping. I'm reporting on ways that people can jump in and volunteer. I'm reporting on, you know, the people who have extraordinary moments that they can share, not only from during the storm, but during the recovery efforts. Same thing with, with plastic uh, waste and pollution. Horrible problem, right? But I'm not reporting on how horrible the problem is. Everybody else can do that. I'm reporting on what we're doing about it and what you can do about it to help solve the problem. I want to tell the stories of people who are out there fixing it. I don't want to tell how awful it is. I want to tell how optimistic and how many people are doing great things to change a lot of the negativity that we're seeing in the world. So, you know, 
we still very much report hyper-local news. We have all sorts of news about events, uh, local charities. We have stories about local personalities. We have stories about our local dining scene. We have stories about uh, uh, all sorts of local activities. But we also share stories from other parts of the world. You know, if it's relevant to beach life, if it's relevant to um, our small town coastal values, then we'll tell the story of a surfer in Bali who has started making surfboards out of recycled plastic bottles. We'll tell the story um, about a, uh, a manatee that was rescued in another beach. You know, it's not we, we don't just just like an, a regular local newspaper. I mean, yes, you've got local stories, but then you've got AP, you know, AP Newswire type stories from other places around the world. We do the same thing, but with a beach centric focus. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And and I'm kind of wondering if because you took that stance in the beginning um, about, you know, focusing on the positive and kind of using some of your past experiences of building an online community. Did you use that as sort of your pitch when you started to monetize the site by approaching local businesses and say, you know, we're here to really build up the community because advertising, obviously, and making money is a big part, you know, of the game. At first, no. Later, yes. At first, we were, you know, look, at first, I would, I would actually, if a restaurant went out of business or something like that, I might, quote unquote, report it, right? But we're in a small town. I mean, you know, look, if you look at our local news sources, it's, they run, they run like the, uh, the police blotter, you know, here's arrest pictures. I mean, it's just horrific. I mean, what an awful negative thing. You know, here's somebody who got a DUI. Here's somebody that, that was accused of shoplifting. I mean, is that news? Is it? You know, what happens is, unfortunately, in media, there was pure journalism at, at one time. But because of the crunch put on media companies, they began to have to, because the margins were collapsing, they began to try to struggle to develop revenue. Well, what they found is that bad news and controversial headlines and, you know, uh, looking at other horrific things that happen to people generates clicks. Now, look, I could sit here as an entrepreneur and I can put up, I can, I could probably right now I'm sitting on the beach. I'm looking out here. If I floated my drone out there, I could find a shark here in 10 minutes. I mean, every time you paddle out there, you see one. Well, the media makes you think, I mean, they will literally show video footage of a shark and say, great white spotted in Navarre, and the audience panics. They're, they're uneducated. They don't understand that that's just where sharks live. Sharks are there every single day, feet away from you. This is not an unusual occurrence, <laughs> right? But the media will make it out like, you know, sharks are, you know, they just do it because they know it's going to generate clicks, okay? And because it generates clicks, it generates ad views. Now, the reality is, if you look at the statistics, there have been like, since 1882, 1882, 130-some-odd years ago, there have been, I think, 13 deaths in the entire state of Florida from sharks. Okay? 13. There's more news. <laughs> I mean, you're in danger, greater danger of, of stepping out onto your front porch in the morning than you are of being bitten by a shark, right? 13 people have died in 130 years, and they're going to post a picture of a shark just because it generates clicks. But it seems like your style your style also generated a lot of clicks too. So it's kind of like you've you've proven that there is sort of that, 
you know, hunger for local, you know, positive news and not just the sensational stuff. Well, and that's the thing. If we post something of a shark, we always use it as an educational opportunity. We link to here's things you should know about sharks. By the way, did you know that there's only been one death in our county since 1882? (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, that's pretty significant, you know, and especially when people are saying, that's why I never go in the Gulf. That's why I never go in the ocean. I would never step in that water. I mean, you know, it's just ignorance, right? So I look at it as an opportunity, number one, to educate. Is there something we can share that that changes the perception of these beautiful creatures, for example? Um, but I don't just put it up there as clickbait. And, and I could generate 10 times as much traffic. No question. I could be running that stuff all day, every day. I could be running stuff that is makes people upset. I mean, there's all sorts of controversial laws down here about beach usage, et cetera. I could be hitting that button every day. But you know what happens? It starts to build up negative energy around your brand. So what happens is you look at news sources. We're no different. Look, we have products that we sell with our brand on it. Guess what? Go to Fox News in New York. Go to CNN in Atlanta. They all have stores. They all have online e-commerce stores. You can get CNN hats. You can get a bandana for the dog. You can get cup holders. You can get any of the stuff that we sell. But how many people really want to wear that? Because of the negativity they have come to attach to their brand over their years, over the years. There's so much negativity in what is being reported by any brand uh, in, in mainstream media for sure, and, 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 and also in the non-mainstream media. They're attaching all this negativity because negativity is what gets people glued to their viewers. And unfortunately, they're taking the short-term revenue. We don't get as many clicks. But then again, people like to have their brand associated with our brand. They, they don't have a problem seeing their ads run on our page, right? And I'm not just doing it for the money. I'm doing it for my personal sanity. I don't want to be reporting about a car that ran off the bridge into the, into the, the bay and the mom was trapped and died, right? That's, you know, I mean, I guess that's news. Yeah, no, it, it, it it's an interesting um, conversation because w- with a lot of the people that I've spoke with and myself included, what happens when when you try to report everything and obviously some of that stuff is 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 stuff that you're going to, you know, going to have to report on. It almost becomes like then you always have to do it. So it's like you might re- report on one crime story and your audience, um, you know, it's like they're going to expect that, yep. um, that that's going to be, be you. And so you you pretty much just kind of. You know, you went in, like you say, as a solo entrepreneur, and you really had total control over your content and over your brand. And by by taking that positive approach, you've been able to monetize in a way that's I'm I'm assuming a lot of it has to do with clicks, because obviously you have a huge um, following. So you have a lot of clicks anyway. But a a lot of the value that you're offering is more just um, positioning local businesses with your brand, which is liked and trusted pretty much. Right. And I and people feel good about what we do because they see us giving back to the community. They see us raising money for charities. They see us highlighting local personalities and local businesses that have gone unnoticed. You know, if every day they were tuning in and they were getting an update on how many people have drowned this summer or how many people have run off the bridge or how many people have died in car wrecks or here's the police blotter. Here's the people who got arrested in our little town this week and everybody loves to talk about it. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty disgusting, frankly, and it's, it's, it's not what I want to do, right? So I, I really just decided, you know, 
that's what everybody else is doing. That's the world we live in. I'm going to be a source of positivity in our community. I'm going to be a source of positivity on our Gulf Coast and hopefully uh, a, a source of positivity in the world. And I think that that is an untapped opportunity in local news. Uh, 50 years ago, people were proud of their hometown newspaper. People were proud, you know, it, because they were part of the community. Now they're loathed. And people and journalists don't understand why this is happening. And I'll tell you why it's happening. It's because journalism moved away from the center. Pure journalism probably died with Walter Cronkite. I mean, you know, now, you know, Walter Cronkite, and again, I know that's before most people's time, but, you know, you really didn't know where he stood. He didn't have an agenda. You know, he didn't he didn't throw in snarky little comments. Well, what happened was, you know, there were only 20 minutes of news a day, 22 minutes of news a day. Right. There were three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. And if you didn't if, if a story did not make the cut for that 22 minutes, you didn't hear about it. Now, you might have had a local newspaper and you probably there, there really weren't too many national newspapers like USA Today. But what happened was CNN comes along in the 80s and creates a 24-7 news cycle. They don't have enough news to fill, so they would just repeat the same thing every 30 minutes. And over time, then they would add shows. Now there's commentary. It's not just the news. Now I'm going to talk about the news. Now I'm going to bring in other people to give their perspectives on the news. Now I'm going to bring in a guy from the left and the right to debate the news, right? That's, none of that's news, right? None of it's news. It's all commentary, speculation, debate. So this entire culture built across now, we don't just have a news channel. We have a sports news channel. We have a college sports news channel. We have an entertainment news channel. We have a fashion news channel. We have a music news channel. We have so many subsets of news, and all of them have to fill time. And then the Internet comes along. Now we are being notified at every instant. When something horrific happens anywhere in the nation, anywhere in the world, if something awful happens in a school in Cambodia, we hear about it. That was not true 30 years ago. We live in a much safer world today than we've ever lived in before. Violent crime in America is at a 50-year low. Criminologists basically say violent crime, it's statistically impossible for violent crime in America to get much lower than it is today. And you can go to FBI.gov to see the statistics yourself. In 1970, there were about uh, 220, I'm sorry, 200 million people living in the United States. There were about 15,000 homicides that year. In the 80s, homicides went up to about 24,000 a year. In the 90s, about 24, 22,000 a year. In the most recent year, we have a reliable stats. That stat's down to about 16,000, I think, last year. Now, that's extraordinary for a reason. We had 14,000 or 15,000 in 1970. We had 16,000 last year, let's say, ballpark. But we've grown from 200 million population to 320 million population. That's unbelievable. That is absolutely unbelievable. And it's like there should be parades in the street. That's not, if this is not an Obama thing, it's not a Trump thing, it doesn't matter. You know, the point is, Crime is at an all-time low, violent crime. So why do we all believe we're living on the brink? Why do we all believe we're living 
in, in, we're knocking on hell's doors. The reason is we've begun ingesting information at a rate that we have never ingested information in the history of mankind. Nothing happens anywhere without us hearing about it, and most of it is horrifically bad news. And it is having, in my opinion, a profound psychological effect. You've seen murder rates go way down, but what's gone up? Suicide rates, stress, anxiety levels. If you look at all the reports, that's what's happening in our culture. We're all so stressed out. We're all so anxious. We're all so angry at each other. But the reality is there's never been a better time to be alive as a human being than the era, and this is not a political era, just the general era that we live in, this is the ultimate moment in history to be alive. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I think it you know, it relates back to what I'm doing as well, which is teaching journalists that they can go their own way. And just speaking with you, Mike, you know, you were able to make an impact in your community because you stood against doing something that you just didn't believe in. And you didn't want to be that guy who compiled mugshots online or whatever. And, you know, you built this positive online community. And I agree with you. You know, it's a great time to be alive. And I tell people all the time, it's a great time to be alive as a journalist because now the publishing world is really open up to anybody, really, especially on this local level. And I tell journalists, you know, to stop worrying about losing their job and making money for and building someone else's brand, that as a journalist, you can build your own brand and you can report on whatever you like. You know, some people might love court reporting and so they want to do that. And it's, you know, it's really up to them. But with somebody in your position, you took sort of an opposite stance and it, and it really worked out well. And it, you know, just goes to show that the publishing world's really open to journalists and content creators now. And when I say content creators, it's another thing, too, because when you talk about news and local content, people are just as starved for local content as they are what some might say is local news. Like, you know, you were telling me before we jumped on the call that you parked, you're parked at the beach waiting on some manatees to get some really cool drone footage of them. And I mean, I know that if you post something like that online, people want to see that and it's local content. And some people might, you know, not say that it's local news, but people want to see that. And if that's where their local eyes are, and you can prove that to local businesses, you can easily monetize that at, at any point. So, you know, it's not all about chasing those clicks or sensationalizing everything just, you know, to get people to your site. You can do that just by, you know, providing positive local content. And it seems like that's really something that you've done really well. You know, look, I live in a beautiful area, okay? There's no doubt about that. And some people are going to say, well, that's, you know, of course, if I got a beach and can chase manatees with a drone, I can get clicks all day. Well, look, I've coached hyper-local entrepreneurs all over the nation and in a few spots around the world. I will tell you, this works anywhere. So let's just say that there is a uh, festival coming up this weekend in your town, some sort of little thing that a church is putting on. You know, you go out and you cover that event. I mean, really cover it. You you do video interviews. You do some social media. You do some Insta stories. You, induce, you, you, you interview somebody in advance. I mean, that's a positive story. And guess what? It's not just a positive story. Once the church or school or whatever it is gets a hold of that content, they are going to share it for you. They will become your marketing mechanism right? They are going to say, hey, check out this awesome video that these guys did about the event coming up. Please share this with all your friends. So what you find is it's actually 
part of your marketing plan is to highlight. Nobody wants to share bad news unless you're just sharing gossip, right? You know, I mean, like it's, you know, it's like, oh, this is awful. Prayers for the family. I mean, nobody, you don't want your brand associated with that. You want your brand, you want you, you want people saying, man, Sarah, you did such a great job in that interview. I'm going to share this, right? Sarah's family's going to share it. I mean, Sarah, who never gets any attention, everybody's going to say, oh, Sarah's the best. Thank you for doing this story. That's the kind of stuff you do. That becomes part of your marketing plan, right? And it is news, you know, and to heck with anybody who says it's not. If there's a festival coming up in my community, that is news. A news does not have to be an automobile accident. News does not have to be a political scandal. News does not have to be somebody stealing from a business. News can be extremely positive. And in fact, I would argue there's a whole lot more good news than there's bad news, but you wouldn't know that if you counted the headlines in any typical newspaper. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting topic and an interesting discussion and, and an important discussion and one that we could probably dedicate a whole show to. Um, in fact, it might be something we do in the future. But, you know, really just to kind of change the, the, the focus a little bit here and to go back towards somebody who's thinking about starting one of these local news sites because you've really proven what can be accomplished and what can be done. And, you know, whatever vision somebody has locally for their community and, and reporting on their community, you know, we want to provide them the opportunity to do that. But I think a lot of people get hung up with just starting. And so I want to kind of ask you, what's a good tip that you have for somebody who's really just interested in starting and maybe they're on the fence about it and they're thinking well it could be something that could work or maybe it's going to be something that is too much work you know what is your you know what is some good advice that you would give them for starting out um the first thing i would say is don't think about it just do it get started you know now i'm not saying you're going to make a living day one but the sooner you start planting those seeds. It's going to take time to gestate. It just is. My, you know, I probably didn't have ads at all for the first two years. I wasn't even trying. And finally, one day, some real estate guy walked up to me and said, hey, love your site, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How much does it cost to advertise on there? And I'd never even thought, I'm like, I don't know, you know, 50 bucks a month. <laughs> and he's like, great. I'll, let me just write you a check for the whole year. And then the next person that asked a month later, I said, I don't know, 100 bucks a month. And I just kept going up, right? You know, until finally I just kept filling in, you know, filling in slots. So I would say just get started because it's going to take you time to get some traction. But you're going to have to build trust. You're going to have to build that brand. And that's what people get frustrated about. They think, oh, they look at what I do, or what other people do. Oh, that's easy. Hell, I'll just throw up a site. Next thing you know, I'll put ads on there. And they're trying to sell ads before they've got an audience. You've got to have an audience first. You, so don't even worry about the ads right now. Right? Don't even think about the ads. Think about the audience. Put yourself in the in the in the audience's mind, not in the advertiser's mind. And you know, when it comes to building an audience, what are some tips um, on? Uh, let's just talk about like digital marketing in particular. So, I think if I if I remember correctly, you focused kind of on Facebook in the beginning. I'm sure you probably branched out into like you know other social media platforms, but. You know, for let's take Facebook for example. You know, what's a really good uh, digital marketing strategy for somebody who starts one of these sites to start building that community and building that audience? Well, let's assume let's assume you don't have deep pockets. Let's assume you you haven't gone out and raised a round of financing. If you if that if that's true, 
then I could give you strategies about pay-per-click and all that sort of stuff. That didn't come until much later for me. And I will tell you that what I said a few minutes ago was your best strategy. I, I did not start with Facebook. Facebook came much later. That said, um, the, the best uh, strategy to me is create content that people will want to share. So create, think about that person who you know in the community or that story that you know, an iconic restaurant, an iconic event, an iconic musician, an iconic artist, someone that everybody loves and go do a story about them. How did you get here? Have you seen this town change over the years? What do you hope to see in the future? Whatever it is. Right. It doesn't have to be about an event coming up. It can just be a, 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 just a, a everybody has a story. And if you tell that story, I promise you it is going to get shared. So I tell people, you know, think about the charities in your town that really need help. I mean, they're struggling. Right. So think about a charity. Who sits on the board of a lot of those charities? It's the business owners. It's the influencers. And why do they sit on the board? Because they've, they've made a little money and they want to do some good. And so they volunteer to help. Well, guess what? You come do a story about that charity, whether it's an orphanage or a pet rescue clinic or a, uh, somebody who's out there, um, visiting the homeless and, and giving them food at night. You do a story about that. The first thing that the administrator of that charity does, who probably either does it because they're passionate or because they make 30000 a year and they're paid to do it, they are going to share it with the board. And the board consists of the who's who in your town, as do the boards of the other charities. And I'm using that as an example, but guess what? You do that enough. And finally, that guy who owns those three car dealerships, who his wife sits on that board, his wife's going to be saying, and I mean, I don't mean that to be sexist. I just mean that, you know, whoever it is, there's going to be somebody's spouse sits on the board or they sit on the board. And the point is, at some point, that person goes, I really like what those guys are doing. Well, I want to know how, how much it costs to advertise on that site, right? And for them to peel off a couple hundred bucks a month for an ad, and then you multiply that by 20 people, it's not, it doesn't take a lot to make a living, right? If you're a solopreneur journalist. So you sit there and look at it. Don't try to conquer the world, but start to create content that shines spotlight on deserving people, deserving businesses, deserving charities. And eventually, if you do that consistently and you do it selflessly, then the money will come and people will support what you're doing. But you've got to build that trust first. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, trust is huge. It's something that we're constantly working on building. And it makes a lot of sense for the local business community if they're going to be spending some of that advertising money with you. But to kind of finish things up, I just want to talk with you a little bit about ways to make money outside of the traditional local advertising. I know that advertising is going to you know, be the majority of it for, for many sites. For us, we make a lot of money also through digital services and selling digital services. And that all goes back to that trust because once you have the trust of the local business as a digital authority, they're going to come to you and they need other digital services. So I know you're probably ready to go back to the beach and chase those manatees, Mike, but if you could just tell us a few other revenue sources that really work at 30A. Uh, I will tell you that um, the advertising, I've never, we don't sell by paper, uh, we don't sell by clicks. 
don't sell by click, sell sponsorships. You know, you will be the only sponsor on this page, or you will be the only one in this slot, or you will be one of three rotating in this slot. Uh, Your traffic's never going to, even my traffic, it's just not going to be big enough to sell the way Google and Facebook and all those guys sell. So don't get that out of your head. You just sell slot. Hey, this slot is going to be yours. It's $400 a month. And we, we require you to, to lock it down for a year, or we require you to lock it down for six months. But if you lock it down for a year, you get a 15% discount, right? So number one, ads are going to be an easy, obvious way to do it at first. Then though, as you build that trust, as you build enthusiasm for what you're doing, then you open up e-commerce and retail opportunities. So for example, we then started putting stickers and t-shirts and hats into the market. And guess what? Because they don't associate our brand with uh, mug shots and auto accidents, um, they started wearing it, much to my delight and surprise. And then as that grew, they started adopting it more and more. So I will say that, but it doesn't have to be that. You could, for example, we partnered with our local um, repertory theater. The theater is a nonprofit. We help them sell tickets. But we make a commission on those. So we promote their shows, but we have a link to buy tickets and we get, you know, money from that. Uh, we help promote local activities. Hey, book, you know, you want to book a, um, uh, a concert ticket. You want to, uh, book a private chef, uh, to come to your house and do something. You want to book a kayak tour. Uh, and again, there are activities in your area. I promise you there are eco guides or there are, uh, ATV rentals or there are, other services that are looking for help with booking. So once people are using your site, you can then steer them to things like that. You can also do um, advertorials. You know, you can you can you can have people who you're going out and covering. Yes, it's a car dealership, but everybody knows Bob, and you're going to go out and you're going to cover Bob's event, and you know it's going to be a paid advertorial, but you can do that. Then at some point, if you really nail it. If you really become integral to your community, you can do what we've done, which is we've now started to license. You know, so we license our brand to local businesses and national businesses who want to use our brand to help sell their products. So, for example, we partnered with a local real estate company and we have 30A Real Estate and we don't sell real estate. But they know everybody loves our logo. They love our brand. So we partnered. So now if you're looking to buy a home here, or sell a home here, you can go to our website. We don't have anything to do with it, but we get paid on those transactions, right? So they go sell the homes. We don't, well, I'm not a real estate agent, but if someone goes through our site, we get credit for it. And if they end up closing on a house or a lot or a condo, then we get a commission. So over time, as you build that brand, and again, this is going to take time, but over time, if you build that brand, you can begin to establish not just sponsored relationships, but transactional relationships. And I think that's something that and, – and, and also, don't think of yourself as a website. You've got to stop that. Don't – that's the first mistake people make. You've got to think of yourself as a brand. CNN is a brand. There's a TV part of the brand. There's a website part of the brand. There are mobile apps. There are e-commerce plays. There's sponsored content. Hell, I've seen CNN stores in airports, right? I mean, there are, there, there are numerous licensed products with CNN on it. Same with Fox News. Same with any of them, right? So it doesn't just become a website. It's a brand. 
And you have to start thinking of yourself that way. You've got to think of your brand as something that can transcend websites. It doesn't need to just be a website. It needs to be a flag, a rallying point for people who love your community. That's what it needs to be. You need to be a source of civic pride in your community. And if you do that, the revenue opportunities really open up pretty significantly. Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%, Mike, especially with the e-commerce. I think e-commerce is something that a lot of local media businesses haven't really been able to comprehend yet or haven't been able to implement, but it's definitely a huge potential for anybody with these sites, especially, you know, not just selling your own local products, but even selling other local products. Um, great stuff there. Thank you so much for being on the show. That's, that's really why I had you here because, like I say, I got, I got really inspired by the work that you were doing five years ago when I got started. And I'm hoping anybody who listens to this episode will also get inspired about, you know, the opportunity that is available for any journalist or content creator to create a local media business. And that's why I started the Local Media Business Playbook, which is an online course that I also work with through some personal coaching along the way so that anybody who comes through that course is up and running and ready to go with one of these sites in place. I even you know, put together a theme if they need that for their website so that they can easily get up and running, start thinking about building that audience, start thinking about building that trust like you talked about, and to start monetizing that site over time so that they can pay themselves at least you know, a little bit more than they would make as a journalist working for the local newspaper, and in some cases, you know, 10, 15 times more. In your case, I think everybody knows that, you know, you're basically just crushing it down there and super cool of you to be on the show with us. So, Mike, how can somebody learn more about 30A, the brand, the company, or any other work that you're involved with? Sure, yeah. We have a, a, a very large network with a lot of different sites, but the easiest way to kind of go to the, if we have a homepage, I guess it would be 30a.com. That's 30a.com. And if you go to 30a.com forward slash about, you can find more information about all the aspects of our business, not just the, you know, the homepage, but the e-commerce, the, the licensing partnerships. We've got craft beer. We've got electric bikes that you can see people riding around town. We've got a real estate partnership. We've got all these things that all work together. And that to me, um, is what journalists need to be thinking about is, you know, journalism has evolved and the old way of doing things for better or for worse has changed. So ultimately, if you want to become a successful journalist today, you can't just sit back and expect to get a paycheck for, for writing, um, you know, uh, news breaking stories. You know, you're going to have to think much more like a business person to thrive. And I think the opportunity for positive news in this world is huge. In the next few years, we're going to see profound studies coming out showing the psychological impact of what we've been doing. It's like fast food. We've been ingesting information particularly negative information at an alarming rate that our minds are not accustomed to ingesting and the effect it's having on society. We see it. We see it in the news. We see it in the media. We see it in our daily lives. And it, it is time to change that. And the people who move first to create positive news sources are going to be the anecdote that is very, very much sought after by a lot of audiences right now. 